0: Welcome, I'm Rose Aguilar, and this is your call. Last week, South Africa made its case before the United Nations International Court of Justice in The Hague, accusing the Israeli government of committing genocide in Gaza. The delegation said the world has failed Palestinians by turning a blind eye to the, quote, mass genocide perpetrated by Israeli military forces. Here is Blenna Ni Hrali, an Irish lawyer who specializes in human rights and international law. She serves as an advisor to South Africa's legal team.
1: International community continues to fail the Palestinian people despite the overt, dehumanizing, genocidal rhetoric by Israeli governmental and military officials matched by the Israeli army's actions on the ground. Despite the horror of the genocide against the Palestinian people being live streamed from Gaza to our mobile phones, computers, and television screens, the first genocide in history where its victims are broadcasting their own destruction in real time in the desperate, so far vain hope that the world might do something. As stated by a United Nations spokesperson in Gaza last week, at the site of a hospital, clearly marked with the symbol of the red present, where five Palestinians, including a five-day-old baby, had just been killed. The world should be absolutely horrified. The world should be absolutely outraged. There is no safe space in Gaza, and the world should be ashamed.
0: Irish barrister Blinnie Nihralli goes on to describe the daily killings happening in Gaza.
1: They include 48 mothers each day, two every hour, and over 117 children each day, leading UNICEF to call Israel's actions a war on children. On current rates which show no sign of abating, each day, over three medics, two teachers, more than one United Nations employee, and more than one journalist will be killed, many while at work, or in what appear to be targeted attacks on their family homes or where they are sheltering. The risk of famine will increase each day. Each day, an average of 629 people will be wounded some multiple times over as they move from place to place desperately seeking sanctuary each day over 10 Palestinian children will have one or both legs amputated many without anesthetic each day on current rates an average of 3,900 Palestinian homes will be damaged or destroyed more mass graves will be dug more cemeteries will be bulldozed and bombed and corpses violently exhumed, denying even the dead any dignity or peace. Each day, ambulances, hospitals and medics will continue to be attacked and killed. The first responders, who have spent three months without international assistance trying to dig families out of the rubble with their bare hands, will continue to be targeted. On current figures, one will be killed almost every second day, sometimes in attacks launched against those attending the scene to rescue the wounded. Each day, yet more desperate people will be forced to relocate from where they are sheltering or will be bombed in places where they have been told to evacuate to. Entire multi-generational families will be obliterated.
0: Irish barrister Blinini Hrila then shared a photograph of a white board at a hospital in northern Gaza, one of the many bombed by the Israeli military. Dr. Mahmoud Abu Nujalia wrote on that board, Whoever stands until the end will tell the story. We did what we could. Remember us. That doctor was then killed by an airstrike on November 21st. About 100,000 Palestinians have been killed, reported missing, or wounded in the Gaza Strip, according to Euromed Human Rights Monitor. Last week, we discussed the Save the Children report that found more than 1,000 children have lost one or both of their legs in Gaza since the assault began in October. Global health expert Professor Devi Shridhar warns that one quarter of Palestinians' population could be dead within one year due to outbreaks of disease without immediate intervention. After South Africa presented its case, Lior Hayat, a spokesman for the Israeli Ministry of Foreign Affairs, issued a statement saying, quote, South Africa, which is functioning as the legal arm of the Hamas terrorist organization, utterly distorted the reality in Gaza following the October 7th massacre, end quote. When it presented its case, Israel said South Africa is diluting the meaning of genocide. Here is Israeli legal advisor Tal Becker.
2: The applicant has now sought to invoke this term in the context of Israel's conduct in a war it did not start and did not want a war in which Israel is defending itself against Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and other terrorist organizations whose brutality knows no bounds. The applicant has regrettably put before the court a profoundly distorted factual and legal picture. The entirety of its case hinges on a deliberately curated, decontextualized, and manipulative description of the reality of current hostilities. South Africa purports to come to this court in the lofty position of a guardian of the interest of humanity. But in delegitimizing Israel's 75-year existence in its opening presentation yesterday, that broad commitment to humanity rang hollow. And in its sweeping counterfactual description of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, it seemed to erase both Jewish history and any Palestinian agency or responsibility.
0: That was Israeli legal advisor Tal Becker. While it could take months or even years before the court to deliver a ruling, South Africa has asked the court To rule on provisional measures that would order Israel to immediately, quote, suspend its military operations, take all measures necessary to prevent genocide, and to refrain from killing, injuring, or committing other acts constituting genocide against Palestinians, end quote. Joining us to discuss this case and this moment that we are in are three guests, Diana Butu says this case is putting the entire legal system on trial and is putting a spotlight on the international legal system. Diana Butu is a Palestinian lawyer and an analyst who served as a legal advisor to the Palestinian Liberation Organization negotiating team from 2000 to 2005. She's also a policy advisor to Al-Shabaka the Palestinian Policy Network, and was recently a fellow at the Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government. Hi, Diana. Thank you so much for joining us again.
3: Thank you. It's my pleasure to be on with you.
0: We're also joined by Max Boquana, Former General Secretary and I'm sorry, former Secretary General and President of South Africa's National Association of Democratic Lawyers, which formed in 1988 as an association of progressive lawyers in South Africa, whose primary responsibility is to fight against apartheid injustice and brutality and to work. For a South Africa that is free of oppression and injustice, the NADL has signed the amicus brief supporting the Center for Constitutional Rights lawsuit, accusing President Biden and top U.S. officials for their, quote, failure to prevent and complicity in the Israeli government's genocide in Gaza, end quote. Max Bakwana is also a visiting fellow of Rhodes University for Constitutional and International Human Rights Law in South Africa. Hi, Max. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here.
0: We're also joined by George Basharat, professor of law at UC Law San Francisco, where he teaches criminal procedure and seminars in Islamic law. Professor Basharat also wrote a book on Palestinian lawyers working under Israeli military occupation in the West Bank called Palestinian Lawyers and Israeli Rule, Law and Disorder in the West Bank. Hi, Professor Basharat. Thank you so much for joining us again.
5: Good morning, Rose. Nice to be with you.
0: Well, nice to have all of you diana let's start with you what were your overall reactions to this case A- and how unprecedented is this moment
3: look my overall reaction was was one of uh, finally um you know for months now for for nearly 100 days by the time that the hearing was heard palestinians have been imploring the international community to get israel to stop and I think it's important to put Gaza in its proper political context. This is uh, a space that is occupied by Israel. Eighty percent of Gaza's residents are refugees that Israel made refugees in 1948 and 50% of Gaza's residents are children. And so the fact that, that the, that Palestinians had to resort and ask and plead with the international community to do something. And in the end, they did nothing just shows how, um, how little this international system works. And so when the hearing actually took place, my reaction was finally and not just. Finally, but it was for the first time that I actually felt seen and heard over the course of these past 100 days. You know, for the past 100 days, it's been, we've been uh, thinking that it's going to be this picture or this video or this incident that will change public opinion. And it hasn't been one picture or one video or one incident. And so the hearing was the first time that we were really able to have a bird's eye view um and to listen to everything that Israel has done to us and gotten away with and to absorb it so it was it was unprecedented in that regard in terms of taking Israel to court this is of course not the first time this is the second time uh, and if, there will be another hearing next month but the thing that's very important about this is that this isn't the situation of Palestine taking Israel it's the fact that South Africa uh, a country that went through apartheid that has stood firmly in solidarity with Palestinians and Palestinians have stood firmly in solidarity with anti-apartheid activists that took this on
0: and that made it truly historic. Mm. Uh, Professor Basharat, what about you? What stood out for you in this case, your overall reactions and how unprecedented is all of this?
5: Well, uh, two, two things. First of all, deep pride and gratitude to South Africa for its courageous decision to bring this court to the International Court of Justice. Um, it's, it's, you know, what this struggle is all about is not a national struggle. It's not, you know, the Arab team against the Jewish team. It's people, humanity, global, globally, worldwide. Who are trying to uh, trying to seek justice in a in a in a terribly tragic circumstance where Palestinians are being ground to dust, and for South Africa, which itself experienced went through an experience of settler colonialism and apartheid, and emerged as a multicultural democratic state, to take up our cause. Um, is is just uh, uh, an incredibly inspiring development. The other really important thing that I think that that um, that was done in the hearing was uh, the South Africa legal team's um, very sensitive and uh, thoughtful uh, placement of this this f- this phase of the. Uh, ethnic cleansing and uh, genocide against the Palestinian people against the historical background. You know, for many people, history began on October seventh with the Hamas attack uh, on on Israel. Uh, it did it, it completely obliterated, obscured, ignored what had transpired for the previous seventy five years. Um, Diana mentioned the, the explosion, the mass explosion of Palestinians in nineteen forty eight. The, there was another mass explosion of Palestinians in 1967. There's the regime, the military occupation over the West Bank and, and the Gaza Strip, um, and all of the repression that that has entailed. Uh, and the South African team uh, made a point of situating this um, this aspect or this this phase of the genocide in that broad historical context. And I think that that was a very important, corrective to public perception of what's going on.
0: Max, can you give us some insight into how South South Africa came to file this case? Renowned anti-apartheid activist, politician and scholar Alan Bosak told Al Jazeera that the case was the outcome of persistent pressure from the people of South Africa he said apart from credit to the south african government credit has to go to the people we've been on the streets for weeks before the government even thought of doing anything
4: i think dr dr busak is absolutely correct uh, i think the almost every day in south africa you've got you've got this call uh, for solidarity with the people of palestine but but i recall that um in, in November 2012, um, we were on a solidarity and peace mission in Gaza. As we were saying goodbye to our hosts at the Rafa border, I, I recall um, one of our hosts, Raji Surani, um, saying to us, as he's bidding farewell to us, he says, we as Palestinians, we are not willing to be good victims. And he even say we are no longer looking for one state or two state solution. All we want, we want to live. Mm. We want our children to play on the street and to go to school. We want to work on the fields and plough them and produce food. We want to go to the parties. We want to go to the weddings. We want to be human again. And he asked a question how can then international law help to call for accountability? And those words continue to ring on some of us um, that have been working in solidarity with the people of Palestine. And it rang um, clearly to us because we understand the well-documented story of apartheid because the struggle against apartheid became a struggle for all humanity. And I think it's correct to say then what we are dealing with in Palestine, it's a it's a struggle for all humanity. And the reason South Africa brought this case is really not because we have um characterized Israel as the enemy or the Jewish people as an enemy, but we as Africa are a host um, to 70 percent of the world conflict and our knee reaction is to call for cessation of hostilities and this is exactly what we are doing we also needed to make sure that an opportunity for humanitarian intervention is that is 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 happening as a matter of urgency and in the end a peace is given a chance
0: To that point, Max, NPR ran a piece just over a week ago, and Kate Bartlett reported that when South Africa's first post-apartheid president, Nelson Mandela, made a state visit to Gaza and the occupied West Bank in 1999, he was greeted as a hero. He once said that South Africa's own struggle would not be complete without that of the Palestinians.
4: That's that's absolutely correct. But you will recall that uh, there was an earlier visit uh, by the then Deputy President Tabo Mbeki, um to Israel at the funeral of Isaac Rabin, hmm. and 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 when President Mbeki was speaking at um, in in honor and in tribute to Yasser Arafat, he made the point that the death of these two have robbed. Um, both Palestine and Israel, a possibility of creating a permanent solution and 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 President Mandela later on made that point that our own struggle as South Africans will remain incomplete as long as the Palestinians are not free and I think we've been very, very consistent to that message of President Mandela and say we will also rest when Palestine is
0: free. Diana, can you talk more about that? What does that mean exactly? We see so many people around the world carrying signs and screaming, free Palestine, free, free Palestine. Given your very long background working on this issue, what does free Palestine mean to you? It's important to understand
3: what Palestinians live under now to then understand what free Palestine means. So now, from the river to the sea, each and every Palestinian is subjugated, whether you are living in the occupied territories, which has a separate military system in place for Palestinians versus the civil system that's in place for Israelis, or if you are a Palestinian who is like me, who holds Israeli citizenship, you're also considered a second-class citizen. And there are more than 60 laws that directly discriminate against Palestinians, uh, Palestinian citizens of Israel. So from the river to the sea, each and every Palestinian lives under a system of subjugation, under a system of Jewish privilege. And so the idea of free Palestine is to break down that system of subjugation, to break down that system of Jewish privilege and to allow Palestinians to live freely, not with an Israeli boot on their neck, as is the case in the West Bank and in the Gaza Strip, where homes are routinely demolished, where Palestinians are routinely thrown into prison, where they are gunned down by the Israeli army without a second's thought, um, and where their land is, is taken to build Israeli settlements, Or as a Palestinian who holds Israeli citizenship, who, uh, where it's commonplace to see, uh, Israeli laws enacted and, and levels of Israeli discrimination that, that each and every, uh, major human rights organization has labeled to be apartheid. So what it is that Palestinians are looking for is to break down that system of privilege to break down that system of subjugation and to allow Palestinians to finally live freely in their homeland.
0: I I have to ask you this, Diana, because it has come up so much um, over the past few months. Many are saying that from the river to the sea is anti-Semitic. I'm I'm just looking right now at the American Jewish Committee's website. It says from the river to the sea is a rallying cry for terrorist groups and their sympathizers. How do you respond to that?
3: The fascinating thing is that It's Israel that's controlling from the river to the sea, and in their control of from the river to the sea, what they're really talking about is maintaining a system of privilege, a system of apartheid, a system of subjugation and oppression. And and so, if the idea that somehow calling for freedom, for equality, for all people is problematic, I think that they really need to reassess what their definition of anti-Semitic truly is. The problem here, of course, is that they have meshed any criticism of Israel and labeled it anti-Semitic, which, of course, does a huge disservice uh, to to the idea of anti-Semitism and is, of course, factually wrong. And so if people really want to understand what from the river to the sea means, they should again be understanding what it means to live as a Palestinian and what it means to live as an Israeli. As an Israeli, from the river to the sea means that you want to fully erase Palestine and Palestinians' presence. From the river to the sea for Palestinians, means that you simply want to live as equals. You want equality.
0: There's a huge difference there. Before we go to break, Professor Basharat, what would you add? And then also, what does free Palestine mean to you?
5: Well, uh, very importantly, free Palestine also means uh, allowing for the Palestinian right of return. There are 5 million Palestinians who are external refugees, and in addition to the regimes of oppression that Israel maintains over its own Palestinian citizens and then also of the Palestinians uh, in the occupied territories, uh, you know, uh, Israel main, built – it achieved its Jewish majority in 1948 by expelling 750,000 Palestinians and uh, and ever since denying their right to return to their homes, there is—you know—there was there was uh, international uh, crimes involved in the expulsion. There is a continuing international crime in denying the Palestinian right to return, which Israel has done forcefully ever since 1948. There were five thousand. Palestinians who were murdered by Israeli troops as they tried to return to their homes in the years directly after 1948, and we saw recently both in 2011 and then again in 2018 with the so-called Great March of Return, which was uh, which was organized in, by young Palestinians in the Gaza Strip when they even approached the uh, the the fence that Israel has erected around the entire Gaza Strip, they were. Uh, murdered by the hundreds and wounded by the thousands um, you know with by by Israeli snipers so you know uh, part of freeing Palestine from the river to the sea is also making room for Palestinians who have been uh, unjustly and illegally excluded from their homeland for 75 years to return and to live there as as equal citizens
0: We're going to take a quick break. That is George Basharat, professor of law at UC Law San Francisco, where he teaches criminal procedure and seminars in Islamic law. He's the author of Palestinian Lawyers and Israeli Rule, Law and Disorder in the West Bank. Diana Butu is a Palestinian lawyer who holds Israeli citizenship. She served as legal advisor to the Palestinian Liberation Organization negotiating team from 2000 to 2005. Max Boquana is former secretary general and president of South Africa's National Association of Democratic Lawyers. They signed an amicus brief supporting the Center for Constitutional Rights lawsuit, accusing President Biden and top U.S. officials for their failure to prevent and complicity in the Israeli government's genocide in Gaza. And that, I should say, is in quotes. This is your call. We'll be back after this. This is your call. I'm Rose Aguilar. Last week, South Africa asked the UN's top court to order Israel to stop bombing Gaza. They're accusing Israel of committing genocide. Israel's foreign ministry spokesman accused South Africa of being the legal arm of Hamas. If you'd like to join us, the toll-free number is 866-798-8255. You can also email your call at kalw.org if you have any questions for our guests or comments. We'd love to hear from you. Diana Butu is a Palestinian lawyer who holds Israeli citizenship. Max Boquana is president of South Africa's National Association of Democratic Lawyers. George Bashard is professor of law at UC Law San Francisco and author of Palestinian Lawyers and Israeli Rule, Law and Disorder in the West Bank. I'd like to spend a few minutes just talking about the the, the massive number of people who have been killed and wounded. Um, Diana, you mentioned this earlier, but I feel like sometimes we throw out these numbers, uh, as horrific as they are, Euromed saying that 100,000 Palestinians have been killed, reported missing or wounded in the Gaza Strip. And I think what's been so horrific the last three months is to see people taking videos of those in their most horrific moment. Uh, In fact, last night I saw such a a horrible video of a young father whose daughter died and he's screaming, why won't I get another minute with her? That's it. She's gone. She used to always say, I love you, dad. And it's just like you said, they're taking these videos to send a message to the world. I mean, we've never seen anything like this. And then people are retweeting it and retweeting it to let others know that this is happening. Yes, um you know this
3: as uh, as Linda mentioned, the lawyer for who was representing South Africa mentioned in her in her submission, this is a genocide that is being broadcast live with people Tweeting about it, taking pictures about it, news news uh, coverage round the clock about it, and uh, and it seems as though people have become immune to it, which is terrifying to me because if we become immune to 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 such um, gross uh, attacks, then what has become of humanity? You know I, I I used to live in gaza um for for about a year and a half back in in mid two thousand and five. and i I have many, many, many friends there. And not a single friend of mine has not has been has not been affected. Not everybody has been affected. Each and every friend has um either actually all of them have lost their homes. Mm-hmm. They've had their homes bombed. Each and every one of them is displaced. Out of their house and, and now in the south, some of them managed to leave. Um, a couple of them have been killed by Israeli attacks and, and, the, and the, and the place that I once knew, Gaza city, this very beautiful, vibrant city, the largest Palestinian city is no longer. Mm. Um, and it's not just a question of, of the, of, of what they've attacked, but how it is that Israel has been so ruthless in not just bombing, but then coming in and blowing up what remains. Just today, for example, um, the Israeli army blew up the last Palestinian university in the Gaza Strip. And, and the point of, of all of this is because Israel wants to make the Gaza Strip uninhabitable, They've said as much. They've said that they want to make it, they want to thin out the population and they want to make the strip smaller in size. And and just so people understand how small Gaza is, it's 26 miles long and and 12 miles wide at its widest point. It's a tiny little space of land with 2.3 million Palestinians in it, overcrowded. It's the most densely populated place on, on earth. So the idea that they're going to, Make it even smaller and thin it out. And, and this speech is coming from all levels within Israeli society, from the president to the prime minister to the minister of defense to um, to the minister of infrastructure to the minister of national security to the minister of finance. Each and every minister has expressed some level of genocidal intent. Or their desire to see the ethnic cleansing of Gaza. And, and this is what we see now. And the part that frightens me is that people have become immune to it. And, and I really don't want to be, I can't imagine a world that has become immune to, to people,
0: um, broadcasting their genocide live. To your point, you, you, Tweeted this morning that each and every university in Gaza has been bombed or blown up by Israeli soldiers. Is that right? Every yes, single one? Absolutely. Each and every one. Each and every one,
3: and and uh, almost every hospital, with the exception of the field hospitals, um have been bombed as well. Uh, the field hospital, maybe one other, uh, have been bombed as well. So you're really talking about the the destruction of of life, of infrastructure. And, and, you know, I want people to think about what, what Gaza city's, go- what Gaza Strip is going to look like in the aftermath of all this. Let's say that Israel stops right now in this hour as we're speaking. Where are people going to go to get medical treatment? They're going to have to leave the Gaza Strip. Where are people going to go if they want to get educated? They're going to have to leave. Where are people going to go if they want to live in a house? They're going to have to leave and that 's the inti- that 's the intent that 's the point is that Israel is bombing the place as as George put it to dust uh, because they want to make Gaza uninhabitable so that people eventually leave and they 've said as much
0: you know diana you 're reminding me of a, a guest and i 'm so sorry I forgot his name, so he lived in Gaza. And was able to go to school in Chicago, but he said he had to make a decision. If he went to school in Chicago, he would not be able to return to Gaza. And, and I guess, you That's- know, you just rarely hear these voices in, in U.S. media If these people, and as you say, they're not going to have a choice to get medical care, housing, if they leave, are they going to be able to return? Because we talked about that January 3rd, Times of Israel story, the headline, Israel is in talks with the Congo and other countries on a Gaza, quote, voluntary migration plan. This is exactly the point. And, and,
3: you know, it's important, uh, to bear in mind that this was the talk within the first week of the Israeli attack on, on Gaza. Um, the former foreign minister came out on a broadcast on Al Jazeera and said that, that they, they intend to send Palestinians to the, um, to the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt and that the Arab world can pay for tent cities there. It was then turned into an op-ed that appeared in the, in the uh, Wall Street Journal, where a minister from a right wing minister alongside a supposed centrist inside the Israeli uh, parliament, both wrote an op ed saying that the humanitarian thing to do is to send Palestinians uh, from Gaza around the world that each country should can take about 10,000. And again, we saw this being discussed, as you as you put it in January 3rd, this is precisely the intent and we have to take Israel at its word. When they say that they want to thin out the population and make it the Gaza Strip smaller in size, we must believe them. When they say that they want to send people out um so that they can go live in in countries around the world, we must believe them. When they say they want to build they want the Arab states to build tent cities in the Sinai we must believe them because, uh, because this Israel has had a history of doing this. This is, this is what they did in 1948. And as George said, Palestinians haven't been able to return since 1948, even though there are UN resolutions mandating their return.
0: Max, are there any laws that would protect Palestinians who have no choice but to leave to get necessary health care, for example? Are there any laws that would protect their right to return to Gaza?
4: There shouldn't be. But uh, like my colleagues are saying, um, Israel is a settler colonial state. And it's not behaving in any way different from other settler colonial states, whether you're talking about the United States of America or you talk about South Africa. The intention of a settler colonial state first and foremost, is to displace um, the the indigenous people from their own land. And that's really what needs to be stopped. Because the second thing is when you force them um, to the peripheries, and, and this is one of the things we have experienced, you force them to the peripheries, then you redefine them. They are no longer human. They are terrorists. They are human animals. Um, you strip them of their culture, their language, and and they are very humanity. And and then thirdly, it's it it can actually be a total genocide. Whether you're talking about the red Indians that are no longer existing, whether you're talking about the Khoi and San people in South Africa that were totally annihilated, and I think it's important that we understand that you are dealing with the behavior of a settler colonial state. And that's why then international law, it's important, because at the end of the day, we need to have a situation where clearly there has to be a release of all the Palestinian political prisoners. As George has said, the return of all of the Palestinian people that wish to return, and there must be a clear right of self-determination. And at the end of the day, there has to be some form of accountability. That's why the whole world has to coalesce around, around the plight of the Palestinian people.
0: Professor Basharat, what would you like to add? And then we'll get to phone calls.
5: Well, a couple of things. Um, first of all, I'd like to reassure my, my dear friend, Diana. That this this genocide is not being forgotten nor overlooked, Um, and I think social media has played a very important role here. Our legacy media is, our our mainstream media in particular, is very carefully curated and is subject to all kinds of political pressures uh, to the point that you know, I, 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 for example, I could not any longer watch CNN which really emerged as like Israel state TV for the first uh, number of, of weeks after, after October 7th. Um, But social media is less, uh, less uh, subject to that kind of control. And so people have had immediate access to what is actually happening on the ground. Um, And, uh, and there's a, you know, there's a huge, Um, a huge audience for the content that's coming out of the Gaza Strip. And that above anything is what's responsible for the rise in global solidarity with the Palestinian people generally and the the Palestinians uh, in the Gaza Strip. I do want to just quickly say that while um, Gaza is right now the focal point, the West Bank has also been subject to severe repression. Hundreds of – more than 300 Palestinians – have been killed since uh, since October seventh by Israeli troops and settlers in the West Bank. The camps and the towns are being subject to to brutal repression, uh, destruction of infrastructure, bombing from the air, uh, which is clearly a violation of of, of international law. Um, and um, finally, I just want to say that that what what we're looking at here is. Uh, has implications far beyond Gaza Strip, and not only because the international legal system is at stake here. Whether international law really applies equally to all nations, uh, what's also at stake here is kind of the future of of humanity. Because these populations that are uh, that that like the Gaza population, which is being marginalized and um, and sequestered uh, and, and warehoused in uh, in, you know, virtually unlivable places, that is the future of many people around the world. As climate change worsens, as refugee populations increase, this is what we're looking at. And the, we really have a question, all of us, throughout the world, how are we going to face this? Is this going to be the model? Is genocide going to be the model? Or is international law and 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 uh, human decency going to prevail.
0: George Bashara is professor of law at UC Law San Francisco and author of Palestinian lawyers and Israeli rule law and disorder in the West Bank. Max Bokwana is former secretary general and president of South Africa's National Association of Democratic Lawyers. Diana Butu is a Palestinian lawyer who holds Israeli citizenship and lived in Gaza in 2005. I I just want to ask you a few questions we're getting about Hamas before we go to calls, because these questions come up in every show. And, of course, we have to talk about this. And I just wonder what your thoughts are. I mean, we're going to do a whole show about Hamas in the coming weeks. Uh, But one listener, Mark, writes, Hamas has pledged to wipe out Israel and have many Palestinians That Hamas embeds itself with the Gaza population as in fighting from schools, hospitals, and mosques. A number of reports have been conducted about what is actually true on the ground. And please jump in and talk about what those findings were. We have another question from a listener, Julia, I agree with the inhumane treatment of Gaza. You have to include a discussion of the role of Hamas on the ground. Hamas has committed genocide along with Iran's client terrorist organization. I am in favor of Palestinians and Israelis working and living together. So what are your thoughts on those questions, uh, Diana?
3: Look, this, uh, this is a common refrain in it about somehow Hamas hides in between people you know what it is? It's a way of dehumanizing Palestinians. That's what it is. It's a way of saying that Palestinians deserve to die, and that Israel is just it, it, this isn't a video game where they can they can uh, f- fire at somebody and these people are collateral damage. Um what Israel is doing is systematically targeting Palestinians and Palestinian infrastructure. as I just said, they blew up a, a, a university today. And and the, when people use this refrain, it's to blame Palestinians for their own deaths. And we really have to move away from this idea that it's okay to dehumanize Palestinians. We really have to move away from this. But more, But I think it's also important to get into the other issues that he's talked about. In terms of what Hamas seeks, Hamas seeks for Palestinians to be free. And that's it. And the, they, in fact, they changed their charter, the, the so-called charter that everybody pulls up. They changed it back in 2017 to reflect this, to reflect that what it is that they want is simply Palestinians to be free and to, in the West Bank and Gaza Strip, by the way. So, but what, if you see that what Israel's doing, it's exactly the opposite. There isn't a single Israeli political party that is in this government or in the previous governments that has believes that Palestinians have a right to be free in fact the charter of Likud which is the governing um, political party says very explicitly that Palestinians have zero right to the land so in other words they are not only just saying, what it is that they want, which is that they don't want to see Palestinians on the land, but they're actually exercising it as well. This is why Israel continues to build and expand settlements. This is why they continue to gun down Palestinians. This is why they continue to steal Palestinian land, because they don't believe that uh, Palestinians have a right to be here, and they seek and have practiced the entire elimination of Palestine and Palestinians. This is exactly what what uh, what Israel wants. So it's very important for us not to fall into this idea that uh, that it's okay to dehumanize Palestinians and uh, and and to somehow view what Israel is doing as is some type of a video game with Palestinians being, uh, especially children, being s- some type of collateral damage. It's dehumanizing. And it does
0: not belong, in in current speaking, in 2024. Given the many years that you've worked on these issues, how do you think Israel should have responded to the October 7th massacres?
3: I think that they should have understood that um, this was the result of a very brutal siege that had been placed on the Gaza Strip um, for many, many, many years. And, and if unless you understand what led up to this, then again, you're dehumanizing Palestinians and you then then there's no way that you can think forward and think in terms of what's going to what should happen next. This was the result of of 56 years of the denial of freedom. Oh, Palestinians in the West Bank and in the Gaza Strip. But in particular, on the Gaza Strip, of a very brutal siege and blockade that Israel has placed on the, on the Gaza Strip, where no imports can come in without uh, Israel searching them. Exports are not allowed to leave without uh, Israel searching them. People are not allowed to exit without uh, Israeli permission. That permission is not easy to come by. And people are not allowed to go in again without Israeli permission. I can tell you about my own experience. I lived in Gaza from 2005 to 2006. And and by the way, this was the the period just before Israel imposed its brutal blockade on Gaza. And I can tell you, as as somebody living there, how difficult it was just to be able to get basic foodstuff in Gaza. Things like flour was was, uh, measured, Um, dairy was measured, you name it, was all strictly controlled. In the aftermath, from 2007 on, when Israel imposed its blockade, it got to the point where Israel was measuring, counting the calories that Palestinians needed, with the idea being that we, they just needed to have their head just slightly above water in order to be able to survive. One one uh, advisor to an Israeli prime minister um, said that they were putting Palestinians on a diet, And so the correct response for Israel would have been to recognize that you cannot live in a world where you're imposing a siege, a blockade, and military occupation and not have a response. And instead, they should have taken steps to finally end their brutal military occupation. What they're doing now is not making Israel any safer. It's not making anybody any safer. And deep down inside... The Israelis know this and the Israeli government for certain knows this, but yet they persist because Netanyahu knows the prime minister knows that the minute that this war is ended, his political career is over and he will likely end up in prison for corruption charges that predate October the 7th. Mm.
0: Well, and I, I also just want to mention, and we're almost out of time. I mean, to think of the 132 remaining hostages and families are protesting on a regular basis, demanding that the Israeli government do more to ensure that the hostages are released safely. Um, we're, we're almost out of time, Diana, and, and our other guests. I'm sorry we don't have more time to get to you. But, Diana, h- how long can this last? And we have just a few minutes left. It's a,
3: that's a very good question. It, from the first. Day, there was an offer that was put on the table by Hamas to release all of the Israelis, um, in exchange for that, for Israel not bombing. Israel instead chose to bomb. And it took until 52 days or 50, I can't even remember the days any longer before they finally reached the same conclusion. And that was when after 50 some odd days of bombing that Israel paused and then, um, the elderly and children were released. Look, I think that they must understand, and the Israelis are beginning to understand this: that that there is no way that you can pe- leave people in this condition with no water, no fuel, no electricity, no uh, food, and and no medicines, um, and have people survive. And unfortunately, if they were really truly interested in returning these Israelis, they would have they would have done so from the from the beginning, not
0: try to bomb Israel to uh, bomb Gaza down to smithereens. Just quickly, uh, Professor Basharat, how long do you think this can last, given what we're seeing, the damage and destruction that's already been done?
5: Well, considering the complicity, uh, both in the form of war material and diplomatic cover provided by the United States, indefinite. In other words, I think I think it can go on for some period of time. Now, the hope is that the ICJ will, will come to the right conclusion uh, soon, um, several of the judges are uh, are finishing their terms within the next couple of weeks and, and we may have a, d- a decision before they leave um, and a decision finding that um, Israel is plausibly engaging in, um, in genocide. And I think that's a probable actual – actually conclusion. Um, then, uh, uh, you know, although not enforceable without the United Nations Security Council – um, you know a decision like that can start to change the dynamic and may result in a in a wind down of the war but i'm I'm predicting that we are at least multiple weeks if not months away for from, from the end of this
0: mm. Max, your final thoughts we have I'm sorry we have about 30 seconds.
5: This really exposes
4: a world that has no empathetic, uh, statesmen, inspirational leaders who were able to think beyond their national interest, and I think if the United States of America wants this war and this conflict to end tomorrow, it can. and I think what we need is to galvanize people throughout the world um, to to act in solidarity with the people of Palestine until peace is achieved in that region.
0: Max Bokwana, Professor George Basharat, and Diana Butu, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you.
5: Thanks, Rose. Thank Thanks you. a lot.
0: And thank you for joining us. I'm Rose Aguilar. It's your call.